0: So we're going to be talking about humility this morning, and it's interesting, I think uh, Thanksgiving is a great time to talk about humility. There's a lot of correlation relationship between gratefulness and humility. Uh, And as we start, I just wanted to ask, and uh, of the people in here, who is the most humble person? (laughs) You just don't vote for somebody else, but if you're the most humble person, go ahead and would you let us know? We've been... Wanting to find that out, okay. Uh, well, I didn't say it. Linda said She volunteered <laughs> you, thank you, okay. <laughs> yes, and as, actually as we talk about this, it seems odd, you know, that if you were to say you were humble, that that would disqualify you from being humble. But as we look at humility, I found it's a really interesting topic that there's a lot of different opinions on. Um, And my prayer is that we'll really get to the core of what the Bible has to say about it. I wanted to start with the idea of of why is it important. Um, This is a familiar passage, but it's the idea that humility is a prerequisite. You need to have it if you want God to exalt you or to bless you. In James 4, 6 to 10, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Uh, it's interesting. Humility comes before honor. There's another proverb that says, Pride comes before the fall. So this is kind of the opposite. Humility comes before honor. And then in Matthew it says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Um, and we all... I mean, none of us would say, oh, I want to be exalted. But we want God's blessing. And um, and if, if we want God's blessing in our life, then humility is really, really important. And also, in looking at this first passage in James, if, as we see that, uh, it's interesting to see here. Um, and I'll go ahead. The definition I've come up with uh, for humility is to understand and live out the truth that we are utterly dependent upon God. Um, and I think we see that even in this passage, that uh, we are to resist the devil. We're, we, we stay humble as we realize, man, there's an enemy out there who is trying to devour us. We stay humble when we uh, are wretched and mourn and weep over our sins. We acknowledge that, oh, Lord, Uh, We are sinners, and apart from you, um, we're we're nothing, Uh, and that we need to humble ourselves. Um, Also, in 1 Peter 5 that we just read, um, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And this word, oppose. God opposes the proud. Would in your life, would you like God to be opposing anything you do? Can you imagine that if you have a task at work and you're trying to get this done, but God was opposing you? I would you just if if you really felt that God is opposing me on this then you're hopeless that task is not going to get done and so this word here is so powerful that if we're proud if we're not humble God is going to oppose us he is going to humble us because if we're proud we're saying oh I can do it on my own humility says oh I utterly need God for everything but the pride says, "No, I, I can do it. I can do it in, in my own strength. I, I I know how to do that. I went to school for that. I have the ability to do this." But when God sees pride, it's uh, I believe it's like a red flag goes up because He wants us all to be humbled and dependent upon Him because that's what He created us for. That kind of relationship together. The passage goes on says, "Be sober-minded." Again, that's like saying be humble. Be humble in your thinking. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. So he says, even in your thinking, be humble. Realize your utter dependence on God because there's an enemy out there, a devil that's prowling around and he wants to devour you. So if you're, on one hand, you've got God who, if you're proud, is going to oppose you. That should keep us humble. On the other hand, we've got an enemy that wants to devour us. And he, he's a formidable foe. He is powerful, the prince of this world, he's called. Uh, so that, that should keep us humble, knowing that, wow, God, without your help, uh, how could I stand up to this kind of enemy? And then also we're helped in being humbled by realizing when we go through suffering that it's nothing new, that people all over the world are, are going through what we're going through. There's nothing that's happened to any of us that others haven't had to endure. Um, Reminds me, in uh, Corinthians, it talks about when we face temptation, we're to realize no temptation has taken us except that what is common to man. But God, with the temptation, provides a way of escape that we'll be able to stand up under it. And so as we look to God and realize my way, others in the world are going through this as well, and that our sufferings keep us humble, humble to know we're not being uh, singled out for this suffering, that people all over the world are having to endure difficulties. And all of us need to rely upon God, to be utterly dependent upon him. Next, not only do we need humility if we want to be exalted or blessed, Uh, When we realize God will oppose us if we're not humble. But also it's a prerequisite to revival. This is when, a famous passage, but it's when Solomon uh, has finished the temple. And it says, Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So it says here, if we want to see revival, if we want to see our land healed, we have to humble ourselves. And it's interesting, this passage that he says, before he's going to heal our land of its troubles, of all, if if you can imagine a bag of all the sins, all the wickedness in the world, all the wickedness of people, from all of that, God picks out one thing, pride. And he says, before I'm going to heal your land, you need to deal with that pride. You need to humble yourselves and also pray and seek my face. And we should add, too, then to turn from our ways. I think this passage is interesting. We think even um, of the election. We see in the election, I think, just that so many people are looking to our politicians to deliver our country and heal our land of our problems. Now, we're not, we don't have necessarily pestilence and a lack of rain, although some places we do, uh, but we have troubles. And I think that's what this verse 13 is communicating. When your land has troubles and you want God to deliver you from those troubles, humble yourselves and pray. So I think this is such an apt word for our society today and for each of us. We... We all have a hope that, oh, God, would you give us some leader who can help with the mess that our country's gotten into Um, and then why so many are disappointed when it doesn't happen. Um, But it's it's misplaced. Instead, God says, we need to humble ourselves. We need to repent of our pride, thinking that we can do it on our own, that some man that we elect is going to be able to bring healing to our land. What a ridiculous idea. Apart from God's grace and God working through the government, apart from, and I believe more it's going to be as God works through his church and the people, you and I, that's how our land is going to see healing, but it's going to be because of God. And if we want that kind of revival, we want a healing of the problems that we're seeing throughout our nation we have to humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I have been, I've been depending, I've been hoping that a leader would come up who could, who could bring change in our country. And you see how passionate people have become for different leaders. Oh, this person, they'll bring us the solution. But God says no. Humble yourself. Don't think that you can do it apart from me, that some man, some political party is going to bring the change that we all yearn for. It's it's when we're dependent upon him. Also, humility is a prerequisite for entering and being great in God's kingdom. First, entering this passage we've often heard in Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling a child to him, he put him in the midst of them, right in the middle. And he said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, like this child right here, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So again, humility is spoken of for entering the kingdom of heaven. We have to say, God, I have no merit on my own that can get me into heaven. And then our greatness in the kingdom of heaven again It says a prerequisite, we have to humble ourselves if we want to be great. There's that song, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. It's scripture. I always remember the song, kind of a country western Christian song. But what a powerful truth. If we want to be great in God's kingdom, we have to serve others. We have to humble ourselves and realize that life is not all about me. It's, it's about God, and he has given me a role in it. He's given us an incredible privilege to be part of building his kingdom, to be his children, to be into, adopted into his family. So these four, we add one more to it. Uh, Humility is commanded by God and is emphasized by Jesus. Micah six 8, we're familiar with this, another great song here too. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three things the prophet points out, picks out that God requires of his people: justice, kindness, and walking humbly with God. So walking in utter dependence upon God, acknowledging that all that we have, all the blessings in our life have come from God's hand, all the abilities that we have from his hand. And then First Peter says, Be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter says, be, be humble Be utterly dependent upon God. You don't need to repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Instead, if you are utterly dependent on God, you will acknowledge God is the one that brings revenge if he so chooses. That I can leave this matter in God's hand. He's sovereign. I will be humble. I'll acknowledge that I am utterly dependent on him for everything in my life. So I don't need to take matters into my own hands. Uh, Interesting, in the quiet time passage this week, we have that uh, one of the imprecatory psalms they're called where the psalmist asks God to wipe out his enemy. And we don't see that in the New Testament. I believe it's because God gave us the Holy Spirit. Every person in the New Testament, when we believe, gets the Holy Spirit. So that's why we have the power. We don't have to return evil for evil. Now we've got this incredible power inside us God's very spirit empowering us to be able to do what used to be impossible to return good for evil what an amazing gift God has given us in the Holy Spirit Uh, and I believe that's that's why we're we're taught we don't have we don't have those psalms and in that psalms too it says Lord will you dash their babies against the rocks I read somewhere they said they thought, well, that's probably what the Babylonians did to the Jews. And that's why they said that, is they wanted an eye for an eye. Lord, And the way they did that to our children, do that to them. How wonderful that now, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, instead we look at our enemies and we say, God, don't bring revenge. Help us bring good to them. We want them to know you. We don't want revenge. We'll leave that to you to do as you wish, but our wish for them is that they would come to know your blessings and you. And we can only do that through humility, acknowledging that all that we have, the power to return good for evil, that has come from God, from his Holy Spirit. Everything we have has come from God. And Jesus then, at the end, there at the Last Supper, He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you this example, that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you will wash one another's feet, if you will humble yourselves, Yourselves and serve others, you will be blessed. And he said, I've done this as an example. You ought, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It takes humility to do that. It takes utter dependence upon God. It takes acknowledging the Holy Spirit in our life to do that. Now, I want to talk about what humility is not. There's a lot of ideas people have about humility. Um, The Greeks said that it's the number one character attribute to be avoided. The Greeks saw it as a sign of utter weakness. One of their philosophers, famous philosophers, said this. It's the one character trait you want to avoid. It's a bad thing, humility. Okay, listen to this quote. Note, Humility is a seemingly noble way for in, an inferior person to cover up their cowardice. That's what humility is," said a famous German uh, philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, or Ricci, uh, Nietzsche, as we often call him. A seemingly noble way for inferior persons to cover up their cowardice. That's what humility is. In fact, his philosophy on this, some said they think were partially responsible for the Holocaust, that the, the Germans felt this way about the Jews, that they were humble people, that they didn't try to get revenge on their own, that they tried to leave it to God, that um, when they were persecuted, they didn't always fight back. And they saw that humility of the Jewish people as a sign of, them, of their weakness. It showed that they were inferior people, and that was the way they covered up their cowardice. So ideas do matter. The way we think really does matter. That philosophy led in part to the extermination over six million Jews. A wrong understanding of humility. Letting people wipe their feet and walk all over you. Some people think that's what humility is. Well, uh, it's not, but humility does often involve sacrifice. It involves suffering sometimes, Um, but it's not, it means turning the cheek sometimes. Um, But it's not always letting people walk over you and wipe their feet, but it, it can be very difficult at times. Then some say it's something you either have or you don't. One person said, humility is a trait so rare that the minute you realize you have it, you by default have lost it. Sorry about that, Elgin. (laughs) Apparently, you're not the most humble person in this room, according to this quote. But I'm actually not convinced completely that that's that's true. I think um, we can have a sense that I think you can truly be humble when you realize that everything that you have is a gift from God. Everything that you have, every good quality in your life was a gift from God, that The Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. When you acknowledge that, think it's okay, you can say, I think I'm becoming more humble. I'm realizing, used to be, I used to thought I was pretty hot stuff. But now I've become humble and realized every good thing in my life. Even the things where I worked hard to develop that skill. The only reason I was able to develop that skill was because God gave me the perseverance. God, God gave me the dedication to be able to do that. I would love to take credit for that, but I realized, you know, that was just God's grace on me. So I, I'm having a hard time finding things that I can take credit for. I believe God's humbling me. I'm becoming more humble. I think it's possible you can be humble and say you're humble. <laughs> Moses did. We're going to get to that. He was claimed to be the most humble person on the earth. Some people say humility is a low view of one's self and abilities. Oh, I'm humble, man. I am a loser, a sinner, and a screw-up. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad person, as one children's book would say it. Okay? I think there are a lot of people that this is their view of humility. It's thinking lowly of yourself, thinking that you are a loser and a sinner and good for nothing. But I don't believe that's what the scripture shows us. There's an aspect of that, but the differences are really important. So let's look what it is. I've got a few uh, uh, definitions and then kind of one that I settle on for me that makes the most, uh, feels uh, the best. First, it's a deep-seated appreciation of my utter need for Christ's help in every moment of my life. I like that it's kind of wordy, but again, this idea that humility is just knowing our utter need for Christ's help at every moment, in every part of our life. It's easy for us to uh, be hum- humble in some aspects of our life, and then, oh, but when it comes to sports, man, that's because of my hard work, and that's because all the hours I put in playing basketball, or that's... I worked at that, that's why I'm good at it. Or, oh, my job, like programming computers, man, I'm good at that because I slaved away. I did a lot of work in college. I earned my degree. I, 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 I. Instead, acknowledging that even that ability to work hard to improve an area where we're gifted was a gift from God. A low view of myself apart from God. Okay. Captures some aspect of humility, this isn 't the best one, but yeah, apart from christ, wow i I am a loser I, I have a heart that 's wicked um, apart from him. It involves deeply understanding that my life, all my gifts and abilities, and the discipline to develop these gifts and abilities are all a gift from God, so you know I watch uh, Christina as she plays piano and leads worship say, wow, she is gifted to be able to, how can she play like that? And I don't even see any music up there or some chords. And people I've met, I think musically, you see that have this gift of music. People that can hear a song and then they begin playing it on the piano. That just blows my mind. And then maybe you would talk to one of them and say, how did you, you know, how did you get that or how are you so good? Well, yeah, I I was given some gift. I was gifted from a young age but I worked really hard. Uh, I put in years of practice. Well, there's others that also had that gift that never found or realized they had that gift, or they had that gift and they never put the hours in to develop it. Maybe they didn't have the discipline. They they weren't, um, they didn't develop it because they didn't put in the effort. But the humble person says, oh, even God blessed me by giving me the ability to year after year keep working at this gift. It was his grace. Others, for whatever reason, didn't develop their gift, but God, first of all, gave me this gift. I can't take any credit for it. I mean, that person that's so musical like that, they hear a song, even at a young age, You know, they they hear music and they begin playing it. You know, what? how ridiculous if they were to say, wow, I'm so good at this, it's all, look how great I am. No, you were given a gift. How ridiculous for you to try to take glory for it. But even the developing of our abilities, I think that's an area often where we're not humble is. There's an area we've put in a lot of work to become good. Or maybe we started with a gift, um, Maybe some, you you look at some of the great Bible teachers. I often think of Bruce Wilkinson. I've always been amazed at his ability to to teach. And I know he's put in hours and hours developing that skill. But he he started with the gift of teaching and then developed it. But that person that has developed those gifts gives God glory for the gift and then also for the ability to develop it. Perseverance to develop it. So there's there's just no room for pride. And we need to develop that. And anything, think of something in your life that you're that you're good at or that you have a knack for. And do you see that as that knack that you had for it? Is that something you can take personal credit for? No, certainly that was just. You were made that way. You were born that way. You were gifted that way. God blessed you with that knack, that ability. And then as you've developed it, do you tend to think and take the credit for the hard work, or do you thank God for enabling you to develop that ability? You know, if there's something that comes to mind today, I pray that uh, you'll really take that to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for taking credit for that. You you gave me that ability, and you gave me the perseverance to develop it. All that I have is because of you. Humility is behavior that springs from a right understanding of God and my desperate dependence on him, which is similar to this sentence. Humility is understanding and living out the truth that I am utterly dependent on God. Um, after studying, that's kind of my best definition I can come up with. Um, but I don't think you, you won't go wrong with this idea that we're just utterly dependent upon God. So if that is what humility is, being realizing that we're utterly dependent on God, then this is why Moses was or could have been the, or was the most humble man on the face of the earth, how he could have said that. Uh, in Numbers 12, 3-9, it starts by saying, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement. And this is Numbers, so it's the Pentateuch. We say, scholars almost agree that Moses wrote the first five books, so he would have been the author of that sentence through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led to write that sentence, that he was more humble than anyone else. And from our earlier example of of Elgin, we normally say, well, if you think you're humble, you're automatically not humble. Um, But I believe the way he could say this, Then this passage goes on where God uh, talks to Aaron and Miriam and rebukes them because um, they uh, resisted or were saying bad things against Moses. And God says, don't you realize other prophets I speak to in visions, but Moses, I speak with him in verse 8, face to face. I speak to him clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Okay, so he's saying, he's, I've spoken to him differently. We think of Moses when he received the Ten Commandments and had been up on the mountain. He He glowed with the glory of God. So when Moses came down and did things, would we think that, it would be easy for him to take the glory himself while you're sitting there glowing with the glory of God. I think that's why he was so humble. It was evident to everybody, wow, God has blessed him. God has been with him. God has given him these commandments. Look at him, the guy's glowing. (laughs) So it would be ridiculous for him to try to take the credit for it. Sometimes I've made that my prayer. I say, Lord, would you work in this situation, that it would be so evident that the result was your doing that, that it, we would feel it ridiculous to try to take the credit. Um, I think it's a good prayer um, in that it acknowledges, Lord, I don't want to be proud and think that it was through my own efforts, but maybe we ought to be able to also pray, Lord, however you work it out, would I just think it ridiculous for me to try to take the credit maybe god works out a situation in a seemingly ordinary way but my prayer is that i and that you we would our response would be oh lord thank you for working that out even though it was kind of happened in an ordinary way lord i know it'd be ridiculous for me to try to take credit for that and moses at the end near the end of his life god had got angry at him because he struck the rock. God had told him to speak to the rock. But not only that, but when he was in front of the people, um, he said, Shall we bring water forth from this rock? And he was speaking of Aaron, his brother and I. Shall we bring the water forth? Instead of getting giving God the credit and God rebukes him, says, You didn't believe in me. So he he was thinking that it was he got carried away in his own what he'd been able to do. He thought I and my brother are going to bring water out of this rock and not God, and so he was prevented from entering the promised land. And I think that was another thing. That's what helped him be so humble. Was the time, the few times in his life when he tried to rely on himself, he saw the devastating consequences, and he took that to heart, and he learned from it. I think another one. Earlier in his life was when he saw, he went out of the palace and he saw uh, someone attacking a a Hebrew, one of the Jewish slaves, one of the Egyptians attacking him. And he attacked the Egyptian and killed him as a way of sticking up for his people. And then the next day he goes out and a Jew says to him, you know, who do you think you are? He didn't didn't become the hero. He tried to do it his way and it, it didn't work. He heroically defended his own people, but the next day the Jews were saying, comes up to him and says, who do you think you are? So I think he took it to heart then. Wow, when I try to do things my way, it doesn't work. And because of that, he became very humble. He be- he got to where he realized, boy, everything that I do, I can only do through the power of God. And that's my prayer for for all of us that would be like these people in the scriptures that we see, that we take these heedings to heart. So as we talk about, well, how can we uh, cultivate humility in our lives? We've already talked about some of them. If if it's humility is understanding and living out the truth that I'm utterly dependent upon God, then we need to understand and live that out. Okay, We need to understand the truth... That we're created in God's image, and we have incredible intrinsic value. Um, so in a way, this is not just about humility, but I think it's kind of, I was thinking about it this morning, it's also a way, how we should posture be before God, how should we think of ourselves as we live life. That on one hand, we can't do anything without God, but on the other hand, man, we're in His image, and we have incredible intrinsic value. Um, it's like when we, many of you visited Zoe while brian and his wife are gone and you're with her and there's not a whole lot she can do but you're in her presence and it strikes you wow she she has so much intrinsic value because she's from the hand of god so this this dichotomy of wow We're we're nothing, and yet we are so amazingly valuable because we're created in his image. Then this idea that we're chosen by God, adopted as his children. We're holy and dearly loved. So on one hand, we have a heart of darkness and we're sinners. But then on the other hand, we've been adopted by the creator of the universe into his family. We're his very children, who he wants to call him Abba, Daddy, Father. Wow, the incredible sinners over here, and then we 're incredibly blessed to be in the king's royal family that we want to keep these um, a posture ourselves where we acknowledge both of those and that it, that we're only in the king's family as royalty because of him, even our faith to believe was a gift from God ephesians two eight and nine many of us have memorized that for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one will boast. Okay, so we can't even boast that, oh, but I believed God. No, Ephesians tells us, no, God gave you the gift of faith, and you believed. And then there's a, some complicated theologies. One of them, I used to think, well, God, He predestined or he foresaw, he knew that down the road I was going to believe in, so that's why he chose me. But uh, a lot of Reformed theologians, the theology will say, no, you can't, that's not even accurate. God just chose you. It wasn't because of any merit, anything you did. It wasn't God saw, oh, that he's a nice person, he's a good person, I'll choose him. No, God just chose us, and we can't take credit for that. There's really not much you can take credit for in life if you want to be humble. But it's a beautiful, freeing thing to get to the place where you're living your life and you are so grateful because everything you have, you realize, is a gift from God. Then spiritual gifts. It's a gift. God has given everyone at least one. Many people here have more than that. So right now if I ask you, what is your spiritual gift? Could you write it down? Or your gifts? If you can't, you need to work on that, I believe. I think it's important to know exactly what your gifts are so that you can be a good steward of them. They're a gift. If God gives you a gift, aren't you curious to find out what it is? And if it's a gift from the God of the universe, shouldn't you open it up and start using it? Especially if the reason he gives it is to be a blessing to others. I think it's not exactly humility, but it's our posture before God. We say, God, you, I have nothing except what you've given me. And you have given me this spiritual gift where when I use it, it's your power working through me in a special way. And so, God, I want to be a good steward of that. And so, Lord, help me to use it more and more. So think of, if you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, bring them to mind right now. And then ask, Lord, am I being a good steward of them? Am I faithfully using them? And if you're not, it's really to your own detriment. Because it's a beautiful thing when you see people using their spiritual gift for God. So I I pray that you'll do it. It's for your own good, and it's for all of our good. If you're not using your spiritual gifts, you're cheating me, and you're cheating Taco and Janet. You're cheating us. God gave you those gifts to use for all of our benefit. So learn what your spiritual gift is and use it. It will bless you, and it will bless others. And you will receive as you give to others. And then we've talked about this, the unique abilities God gives us and that he, by his grace and his goodness, allows us to develop. He gives us the perseverance to develop that. Well, we need to use that. He gave them to us. Then also our posture should be that apart from God, we can do nothing of lasting value. I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's part of this humble posture. We say, God, yeah, apart from you, I, we can think a lot of times, we, we can say, well, I did this, this, and this. I've looked at my life back, and i said some things I did, and then I realized, wow, it seemed like that was something, but now that time's gone by, I really didn't do that by the power of the Lord, and though it looked like there was some result, now, after several years, I look back, and it, it was dust. It's just nothing. And and God was right when he said apart from him, if we don't do it through his strength, through his power, it's ultimately going to result in nothing. And that, that is humbling. So think in your own lives of areas where you've done things in your own strength. And then look back on them. And I think you'll find, wow, the things that weren't done in God's strength just don't matter anymore. It didn't. It didn't amount to anything. It's just dust. But the things we do for God, some, His kingdom is like a mustard seed. It seemed like, oh, I hardly did anything. I gave a little bit. Of, uh, I didn't have much, but I gave it, and wow, look what that turned into. That's the way God's kingdom is. It's amazing. Then this idea that we need to posture, have this posture that we enter the world with nothing and we leave with nothing. We talked with this, the youth about this the other day in the story of Job. You know, God allows Satan to strip him of all of his wealth, and his children all die, and his servants all die, and his, uh, his children's house collapses, and the fields are and the animals are ransacked by the enemy and taken off. And then it says, Then Job bowed down and worshiped God. Wow, it's just one of the most stunning accounts in the Bible. you got to be kidding me. He loses everything in one day, apparently. One messenger after another brings him all this bad news, and then he receives it all, and he bows down and worships God. How could he do that? Well, what he said was, Lord, Naked I entered the world, and naked I will depart. He realized that when he was born, he had nothing. He had no children, he had no fields, no flocks. He had nothing. So his attitude was, wow, this is all icing on the cake. It's all undeserved. And he understood that when he died... He would not take any of it with him. And so his posture was to enjoy what God gave him. And he said, Lord, you give. Lord, you take away. I think I shared before, maybe my friend Mark Randall, they were on our team in China. We were in Thailand for an annual meeting and some medical checkups. And that day his wife had been diagnosed with a, tumor in her in her lung, and Mark was a doctor, and he was devastated because he, he knew what it probably was, that it was big and that it was very likely a very serious cancer. And that, they were going to find out the final results the next day, but that night at worship, we sang the song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, and there's the chorus in there, Lord, you give and take away, you give and take away, yet my heart will... Choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. That's right out of Job's prayer. He loses it all. And he says, God, you give and you take away your, your God. That's your prerogative. But I will choose to say, your name is great. Your name is blessed. And we sang that song. Mark told me uh, later, he said that was just the most intimate worship he'd ever had in his life because when it came to that point he sang those words to God he said I sang those words Lord you give and you take away you gave me my wife and maybe tomorrow I find out that you're going to take her away but I'm going to choose to say your name is blessed and praise the Lord the next day they found out that it, it wasn't a serious tumor and um It turned out not to be serious at all. And they had just tremendous, all of us just rejoiced over that news. But God took him through a beautiful experience of getting to the point to say, yeah, Lord, you give and and you take away. Lord, I I entered this world with nothing. The fact you gave me a wife was just a blessing I didn't deserve. And one day when I leave, I'll leave with nothing. And death is a great humbler for all of us. I think this is something our family is learning as we care for Helen's parents, especially her dad. He is able to do less and less. Uh, It is very humbling to realize that that is what many of us in this room, when we get to our final days, there'll be somebody else helping us put on our pants. There'll be somebody else helping to walk us to the toilet. There'll be somebody else that wipes us after we use the toilet. It's, it's humbling. It wasn't God's original plan, but I believe he allows it because he wants to make sure we get to that place where we acknowledge, Lord, all that I have is from your hand. And the most precious thing I have is my relationship with you. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't even wipe myself when I use the bathroom. And yet you still delight in me in my old age when I call out to you and I praise you for every breath I have. Wow, God, that's what life's about, is is knowing you. And that's precious to you. I can't do anything but just say thank you. Whisper a prayer to you, Lord. Or maybe I can't even speak anymore, but I can think at the thought, Lord, I praise you. And that brings you pleasure. That brings you glory. God honors that humility when we realize that everything we have is from God. It's from his hands. another thing we posture ourselves we, we realize we have this new nature but we still have our old nature that's inclined to do evil and lord apart from your holy spirit empowering us we would often do evil but you're changing us by your power we have hearts that are desperately sick the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it jeremiah seventeen nine. that's part of our posture too this Balancing both sides. The incredible blessings we have because of Christ and what we would be apart from him. The darkness we would have apart from her. The world is gigantic. Billions of planets. Just incredible the things they're, they're finding more and more with these telescopes and it makes us feel so small. Seven and a half billion people and we're just one of them. And yet God cares about my prayer to get to church on time, among all the billions of people, and he—he he seems to honor that prayer, and other prayers that you know just seem so small. We we posture ourselves; we're balancing these incredible um, paradoxes, and we've already talked about this using of our gifts. Oh, and I want to go on that. There's the parable of the ten minas. Uh, Basically, um, in that parable, the master goes away, and there's one that has five talents or minas and multiplies it, but the one just had one and just hid it. And when God comes back, what does he say? The servant says, uh, the master said to that servant, you wicked servant. You wicked, you're evil. You you were given something and you did nothing with it. And that that struck me and has motivated me. The the talents that God's given me, I want to do something with them. That that God is disappointed when the gift He's given us sits there unwrapped. He's given us a, a spiritual gift or other abilities that are meant to bless others and we don't unwrap it and figure out what it is and we don't use it. Or maybe we, we wrap, unwrap it, it's like a great Christmas present. We get it, wow, that's incredible. I've been wanting a, a mixer like that in the kitchen. It's just what I need. And then a month goes by and I look and my wife's not using it. What's up with that? If You told me that was the thing you most wanted or would be the most helpful. I mean, that'd be strange if you gave somebody exactly what they wanted or you gave them a great gift that would be so useful and they opened it up and they loved it, but they did nothing with it. But that's what our situation is before God. If, if we, one, haven't understood what our spiritual gifts are, and then secondly, if we're not using them to bless others, And in turn, the Bible says, as you give, you you receive. But God said, the servants, the master said, you evil servant. Those are haunting words. That that picture was communicating the heart of God. The, The disappointment when he gives us this handcrafted, I mean, your spiritual gifts and your abilities, God has given them, he's made you just the way you are. You're so unique and special, but if we don't acknowledge what our gifts are, what our unique abilities are, and if we don't use them, it's, it's disappointing, it's an affront to God. God sees it as evil. Wow, that seems so harsh. But it's because it's such a good thing to neglect such a good thing, the abilities that we all have been given. If we're not using them, it, it is an evil thing. It's, it's a perversion. So I pray all of us would realize, yes, Lord, these are this is who you've made me to be. These are the ways I've developed those skills. These are the spiritual gifts you've given me. And Lord, Here's how I'm using them, and Lord, I realize I'm not doing anything with this gift that you gave me. Would you help me, Lord? I want to honor you. Then in Romans is where we want to cultivate humility. We let our sins and God's forgiveness and grace penetrate us to the core. Um, and Paul in this is talking about his battle with evil, and he ends by saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this struggle with sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I believe our our sins help us to acknowledge, oh Lord, I'm just utterly dependent upon you in this battle against sin and causes us to, to be humble, utterly reliant upon him. Um, I think one example in my own life was well, an example that might seem like I, it could appear like, wow, that's, uh, look at me, look at this incredible step of obedience I took. But it has just never at all in my life felt that way. When I was 13, I, or freshman in high school, I became a believer um, through my brothers when they visited from college. And that year there were some Christians that I went to a church with, but they were all seniors, so my Sophomore and junior years, there, I was not part of any youth group. Um, I went to my parents' dead church. And then Sunday evenings, I went to a, a church worship service. But that was the extent of my fellowship. Um, my parents never taught me about spiritual things. Um, but for the most part, I, I did good or tried to be good. Um, then... At our school, my junior, year, I remember there was a place at our high school where there two girls would wait. They'd catch a bus to go to a Catholic school, and over time, some of my friends knew them, and I say hi. And one of these girls, she invited me to this uh, the dance they were having at their school. So it's all girls' school, so they ask guys to go. So she was really cute, so I thought, oh great, yeah, sure, I'll go. So I went to this dance, and then they said there was going to be a party afterwards at a such-and-such such hotel. So I said, okay, I think I must have realized maybe that's going to be an interesting party. I didn't really ask what that was going to be like. and I, So I lied to my mom. That was the first time I really remember as a teenager blatantly lying to my mom, and I have since apologized to her for that. <laughs> Holy Spirit convicted me. Um, I told her I was going to somebody's house to a party. I knew something there just felt something different between going to a house and this hotel. Well, it turned out it ended up being two adjoining rooms at a hotel and, and played some games and things. And then four people went to one room and four to the other. And the other people started making out, and I realized what this was all about. And, you know, I hadn't, my parents had never sat me down and told me what was right and wrong. But I knew what was right and wrong. But somehow I was able to leave that room and I took this girl back home without losing my virginity and without compromising. Um, But even a day later, a week later, a month later, Forty years later, I look back at that event, and I cannot figure out how how I got out of that situation. you know I'd love to be able to take credit for just being so morally pure and such an outstanding young man uh, but my heart just would say, No, that's not it <laughs> uh and it's been a very humbling that was a very, very humbling experience because I realized that was it was just. God that protected me. maybe it says Jesus is enthroned as our interceding constantly for us. I thought of the prayers of my brothers and other Christians that knew me. I have a aunt, an Aunt Bernice, that lived to be 93. And she never married, but she was an amazing prayer warrior. And she prayed every day for all of her nieces and nephews. And often I've thought, it was my Aunt Bernice's prayers that got me out of that room somehow. Um, so I look at that and I just know that God humbled me through that and made me see that, wow, I am just utterly dependent on you, God. I I I could not have gotten out of that. Um, and that would have really changed a lot in my life. God could have redeemed it all, of course. But even our sins, God uses those to to humble us and show us that It's not about us. It's about him and and his glory. Paul had the thorn in his flesh. And it says, interestingly here in 2 Corinthians, the reason for it, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, keep me from becoming proud. So again, God allows difficulties in our life, struggles in our life, to keep us so that we don't get proud and don't get thinking, I have the ability to handle everything that comes at me. No, God wants our posture to be, Lord, I don't have the the power to handle anything. There's some things I think I can handle, but deep down, Lord, I know that apart from you, I, I can't. Lord, I desperately need you. And that's what God wants us, to be desperately dependent upon him. So... As we look at these, you know, humility, yes, we should long, we should hunger for humility. Look what it, look what the results are to be exalted and blessed and honored. If you don't have it, God himself is going to oppose what you do. It's a prerequisite for revival, to humble ourselves. If we want to see revival in our nation, we need to start by humbling ourselves and say, God, our political leaders are not the solution. You are. God, in my life, the problems in my life, the solution is not this or that. The Lord, the solution is in me seeking your face and finding wisdom from you and getting direction from you. So real change, real revival in our life, that is all dependent upon God, our need for him. To enter God's kingdom and to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus said, required us to humble ourselves. Jesus emphasized serving others, and the scriptures command us to be humble. So yes, it is important. We should long for it. And there are many ways that we bring it about, but a key is trying to live out this truth that we are utterly dependent upon him. And if there's anything in our lives where we we don't live that way, ask God to show that to you. In fact, just take a moment now. If you'd ask God, is there some area, Lord, where if someone was to observe my behavior, they would say, yeah, I think Wade, in that area, I think he thinks he can do it on his own, that he's got that under control. Ask God to show you right now as you just close your eyes, Lord, is there some area of my life where if someone else observed my life, they would say, yeah, they act, their actions say they think they can do that on their own. And just confess that to God right now. Ask Him, just repent of that. Say, Lord, I I know the truth is that I am dependent upon you, and I can... Every strength that I have is because it's come from your hand. Then we also let our sins and God's forgiveness and grace penetrate us to our core. We realize, Lord, I am a sinner, and apart from your grace, I'm separated from eternity from you. But because of you, Lord, my posture is I know I'm your child who you love to call you Abba, Daddy, Father, Papa, God. And to continually have that kind of dependence, the kind of dependence a little baby that calls their daddy, Daddy has as we live with him and to allow the pain in our life to keep us humble, to realize that, that God allows it because it keeps us from getting proud and thinking we can handle things on our own. It's another reason when difficulties come that we should say to God, thank you, Lord, for allowing this because it causes me to say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is for all of us that we would live lives where we, in every area, we just say, Lord, I am utterly dependent upon you. And Lord, that we'd, months from now, be be say, yes, Lord, thank you. I think I'm becoming more humble. You're teaching me that I need you for everything. And the things that I thought in myself I could do, those were all just your grace to me in the first place, your favor upon me. So, Lord, we just worship you, and we acknowledge every good and perfect gift, every good thing in our lives has come from you. Lord, would your Holy Spirit convict us any time we begin to take credit for things ourselves, or begin to think we're hot stuff, and instead we just always acknowledge, oh, it's all about you, Lord, but you do in your goodness have a place for us. You came, you offer us life and life to the full. We just stand amazed, Lord. You are so awesome, and we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.